Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Well, for some months I had in my mind uh, believing the usefulness of preaching some specific psalms to hear from God regarding us and I've referred to this phrase repeatedly living us us living in a world seemingly gone mad and there were four particular psalms that I tackled job were helping me last week at Arcadia uh, tackling tackling the last of them the first one was someone seeking to address the many voices speaking to us many voices addressing us in the world that we live trying to push us and point us in a different direction but someone explicitly declaring the blessednesses the plural there the blessednesses of the man and woman who delights in the law of the lord and then we moved on to psalm 2 again addressing something that i find almost in every conversation anxiety and fear that we are experiencing in the world as we consider the superpowers and all that is going on in the international context of the world but psalm 2 showing us leaving us with no doubt that god ultimately governs the world and that god is our final authority and then thirdly with the flood of lgbt plus propaganda it's been shoved down our throats uh, almost every day we hear about this psalm 51 exposes the fallacy and dear friends i say this again the fallacy that there is no danger from the wrath of god when people make lifestyle choices merely based on desire and then we looked at psalm 73 identifying with the man who struggled with doubting the goodness of god when we find those difficult situations of life but psalm 73 we learn through asaf the greater good for those of us who discover that even when our flesh and heart fail us god is our portion forever well that done my struggle was the next message how was i to conclude this particular series how would i draw it to a close in application and challenge to us as a congregation here at central baptist church last week i was looking at various passages and just not finding peace and uh, unlike my normal pattern i normally get cracking uh, on a tuesday with preparation it was only on thursday morning that i eventually found uh, or settled on a particular passage that i believe would close this particular series it's a passage that god used to call me into ministry when i was 28 years old uh, our pastor preached this particular passage and Carol and I responded and we entered into ministry leaving a career in engineering behind me. And then along the way it was a passage when we were going through particular difficulties at Scottsville Baptist that God again used this passage uh, the same pastor preaching this message and uh, 
me nudging Carol in that particular service and saying, we're staying. We're staying. God has called us into ministry. And so Ezekiel 22 is a sobering challenge from God to the people of God, to you and to me, living in dark times of spiritual need. And, and today we're going to look closer to home. Not just that the world out there seemingly going mad, but we want to look, we want to see what it is that God would be challenging us with as we navigate our pathway through this particular world. So follow with me. It's Ezekiel chapter 22. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, And you, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Then declare to her all her abominations. You shall say, Thus says the Lord God, a city that sheds blood in her midst so that her time may come and, and, and that makes idols to defile herself. You've become guilty by the blood that you have shed and, and, and defiled by the idols that you have made. You have brought your days near. The appointed time of your years has come. Therefore I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all the countries. Those who are near, those who are far from you will mock you. Your name is defiled and you're full of tumult. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, every one according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things, profaned my Sabbaths, there are men in you who slander to shed blood, and people in you who eat on the mountains, they commit lewdness in your midst. In you men uncover their father's nakedness, in you they violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife, another lewdly defies his daughter-in-law, another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me you have forgotten, declares the Lord God. Behold, I strike my hand at the dishonest gain that you have made and at the blood that has been in your midst. Can, you, uh, can your courage endure? Can your hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries. I will consume your uncleanness out of you, and you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. Therefore thus says the Lord God, because you have become dross, therefore behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace, to blow the fire onto it in order to melt it. I will gather you in my anger and my wrath. I will put you in and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in a furnace... So, so shall you be melted in the midst of it. And you shall know that I am the Lord. I've poured out my wrath upon you. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. 
The conspiracy of her prophets in the midst of her is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured human lives. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they've disregarded my Sabbath, so that I'm profaned among them. Her princes in the midst of her are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get this honest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions, divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy, have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with fire, the fire of my wrath. I've returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Wow, that's quite a passage. And I want to focus today in looking at the situation, primarily Jerusalem, but it's the people of Israel. And right at the end, I want to bring some application and a challenge to us uh, today. What I realized this week is while it is true that we face the challenge of living in a world where it seems that there's lunacy around the place, this passage is not focused on secular society. There's the distinction. We can speak about all that is going wrong in the world amongst those who are secular, those who are Gentile in the sense of the New Testament word, But this passage drills down in the lives of God's people in this particular day, in this particular era. And and the challenge that I see in this passage is that God's people are not exempt from losing their way spiritually. We should not be surprised when secular society is happy to go with the flow. We know that. The world thinking and practice, that is what we should expect uh, from them. But what should we expect from us? What does God expect from me? What does God expect from you, the people of God? The troubling challenge of this particular passage is that we will see it is a possible and frightening reality to have a religious institution. Perhaps we could say in our context, the church. It is possible to have systems in place, systems, religious systems in place. It is possible to have stakeholders, people who are interested in this uh, institution, people who are busy as members or prophets and priests and involved in rituals and liturgy, but it's nothing more than a charade, an empty charade of pretense, lots of lip service, devoid of submission to God, devoid of the true worship of God. And so a simple outline today, I want to begin with God's assessment. As it were, God looks at this situation. God looks at it, he sees it, he knows what is going on. 
this community of Israel, the nation of Israel, has degenerated to the lowest levels of decadence. It does not escape the scrutiny of God. It's a great reminder to me. God knows everything about all of us. The psalmist realized that, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path, my lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways. And so in this passage, as God examines, as God looks, as God uh, reaches an assessment, we see here a record of what God saw of the nation of Israel at this point in history. It's a worst case scenario. God challenging the prophet to confront the people regarding what he calls their abominations in the second verse. And you, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Then declare to her all her abominations. And so there are these detestable lifestyles. God looks, God sees. Some application, yeah? We, are not, we not only face the challenge of absorbing or not absorbing, we should not absorb, we should not cave in to the current 2023 moral revolution from the world, we also need to consider our behavior. How do we behave as the people of God in view of what God says to these Jewish people? Verse 4, you have become guilty by the blood that you have shed and defiled by the idols that you have made. And so the people of God involved in violence, the people of God involved in idolatry, they're not concerned about the ways of God. And if we reduce it to the issue is one of following the impulses of self-indulgent obsessions, wanting what they want, worshipping how they thought best, sinking into coarseness, sensual vulgarity, corruption, and extortion. No sense of the obligation to God. No desire to find out what is it, what is it that pleases the Lord. Verse 8, you have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. There are many in you who slander and shed blood. And it goes right down to verse 12. 12 you can see uh, one commits abomination to his neighbor's wife. In you they take bribes to shed blood. Uh, they make gain of neighbors by extortion. And here's the point. But me you have forgotten. Me you have forgotten, declares the Lord. Now, we expect that. Don't we expect that from secular society? We expect that from people who are foreigners to grace. But Ezekiel now calls them out, telling them, this is not acceptable, this is detestable to your God, to your Father, to the Lord that you belong to. And so we see God's response. They're in a dangerous situation, having provoked the wrath and the judgment of God. 
it matters to God how we behave. Like our earthly fathers who love us and we love our children, we do not hesitate to correct them, to discipline them. And so God is active in this passage, disciplining those he loves. So let's consider the discipline in verse 15. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries. I will consume your uncleanness out of you. So, so we know what happened. God raised up the Babylonians and he took these people into captivity. And, and, and so our thinking is, well, where is God? Uh, wh- why isn't God showing us just the kindness and, and the continued mercy? Uh, why isn't God patient? It is because eventually there are consequences. Eventually there is a line drawn in the sand. Verse 4. You've become guilty by the blood that you've shed and defiled by the idols that you've made. You've brought your days near. The appointed time of your years has come. I've made you a reproach to the nations, a mockery to the countries. Discipline is hard. But God is involved in disciplining his children, disciplining those that he loves. But in this process of discipline, God is also acting in judgment. So there's discipline, there's judgment. And then what he does is he takes these, (coughs) excuse me, professing believers through a refining furnace where authenticity of faith is proved or inauthenticity is exposed. So my next point, it's not just discipline, but there's testing. Verse 18, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. We know that the apostle Peter speaks of this testing, this refining process in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Again, a process we don't uh, want to have. And, and so what happened in this context is they proved to be God's people in name only. They proved to be God's people in culture. But they remained uncircumcised in their hearts. When they were put to the test, they were found wanting. Leads me to my third point. I called it man's responsibility. What is it that sent Israel down the tubes what is it that sends an individual or local church or family down the tubes it doesn't just happen with individual people it happens also in a corporate environment where we need to take responsibility and that's what we see in this passage you have a community of people a community of religious people, some are leading, some are following, but they are together bringing about this abomination in this society. 
Let's have a look at the different people involved, the leadership. Leaders carry a major load of responsibility when things go well and also when things go wrong. I remember this quote, quoted it a few times, I think here at Central, certainly to our leadership. Churches die when leaders die. Churches die from the top downward. Show me a growing church and you will show me a visionary leadership. It is leaders who make growth. When you have spiritual leaders, men of prayer, women of prayer, imaginative, alert, intelligent, there we have growth. That was a quote by George, from George Carey. He was the uh, Bishop of Canterbury some years ago. And what we see in this passage in verse 25, the conspiracy of a prophets, where it can also be translated princes, in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured human lives. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in the midst. So what do we see? We see leaders, leaders in this community of Jerusalem, in the city uh, of Jerusalem, but also in the country, are collaborating with each other for self-benefit, not looking out for, not serving the spiritual well-being of the people that they ought to be leading. Then we move on to verse 26. We see that the clergy, the priests, have done violence to my law, have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have disregarded my Sabbaths. Yes, these people, these religious these leaders, the clergy, have no fear of God before their eyes. God is not in the picture. God is supposed to be supremely worshipped. But they're not obeying him. They don't care about God. God does not, they don't realize that God does not share his glory with another. They're not prepared to distinguish between right and wrong. Then we move on and we see, uh, I've called it the preachers. The passage, uh, verse 28, refers to her prophets. They have smeared whitewash for them. Seeing false visions, divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. That's a big problem back in Israel. I wonder if it can be in, in, in the world that we're living in, in the religious world, covering up and pretending to speak on behalf of God. Thank you, Rila. I did need that. And then the citizens. Verse 29, the people of the land have practiced extortion, they've committed robbery, they've oppressed the poor and needy, they've extorted from the sojourner without justice. Now my point is, this is a dire, desperate situation. A society, a religious society, supposedly following God, but they're not doing so. They're following their own inclinations and impulses, selfishly looking out for themselves. Why this message? The danger for us, for me, is that we look at the world and as it were, we want to take the splinter out of the world's eye. And we don't look at our own lives and own situation. 
It's a nation here with widespread disregard for God and His ways. Like sheep, they're blindly following others in unthinking and thoughtless ways. Squeezed into a mold of worldliness, actually. It's people following the course of least resistance. It's the way of popularity before obedience. It's the way of self-indulgence. Now, here's my application. So all of that is real. I don't think it's true of us. Could be, I don't know, but I don't think so. But here's the revelation. Here's here's God's uh, word that I believe uh, has relevance, certainly has relevance and has had relevance in my life. What can we expect God, who we know to be merciful, who we know to be patient, to do in a situation of defiance and self-indulgence? God is patient. God is kind. God is compassionate. And so what does he do? Verse 30. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land. That I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now there are two points I want to make. First is this. God searches the land for allies. Now I'm speaking from a human anthropomorphic uh, perspective. God searches the land for allies. And the point he's making is that one man, one woman in the hands of God is sufficient to stop the wrath of God being poured out. Isn't that amazing? One person, one person. That I should look for someone who would stand in the breach before me, that I should not destroy it. Now, I know in ministry it can be tough. It's tough at times. Whether you're serving full-time or even part-time, and so often uh, we, we want to give up. I want to give up sometimes. And, and, and I feel like a lone ranger. Perhaps you feel like a lone ranger because you're kind of out of step with everybody else and what's wrong with me and why, why don't I seem to align with, with, with the flow of things? Well, God sees things differently. He works with lone rangers. God scans the nation in this instance, looking for a single person to represent his cause. Such a person at work for God can be the reason that God withholds judgment. Which leads me to my second point. This is the scary one. God searches the land in vain. Then. Then. All-knowing, all-seeing, God concludes that having been unable to find a single ally, he will proceed with judgment. Verse 31. Therefore, I've poured out my indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I've returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. In that day, there was not a single person who would stand up and be counted for God. There was not a person willing to be different, willing to be separate, and stand up for the cause of God. God found none. Well, let me conclude. God continues to look for allies. In Pretoria, at the Central Baptist Church, continues to look for men and women, young people, who will stand up 
for God and for His glory. And so I do ask the question of you this morning, I ask the question of myself, will you choose, will you choose human responsibility? You make a choice, you make a decision. Will you choose to make a difference to save the land? South Africa needs the gospel. Will you make a difference by choosing to be an ally to God for the sake of your family, for the sake of the church, to save them from judgment? To have courage. I think we use the word guts. To stand alone like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Stephen, like Paul, like James, is rare. It's rare. Even though Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. And so I am challenging us as a church, I'm challenging myself, to have courage. Stand up in this world that has seemingly gone mad. Stand up for truth and for justice and for integrity and for godly character and for right and for against evil and against wrong because it's easier to go with the flow even in the church. I think there's an unwritten policy often in church circles. Let's not rock the boat. Stepping up to the plate to serve God will cost you time. It will cost you your popularity. It will cost you money. It's easier to step aside and become a spectator. Jesus did not step aside. He did not step away. Father, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so, folk, are there gaps at the Central Baptist Church in the various ministries that we have? Are there gaps in the people that we need to be sending out? Are there gaps in what we should be doing? And so, are you challenged to be one? Be one, one who's willing, willing to leave the broad road of, oh, I don't want to serve because it's Friday night, I want to sit and watch TV. Forsaking comfort, forsaking convenience, forsaking pretense, to stand out, to stand up for the church, for the sheep, those of us who are leaders, stand up for the sheep. Tough message this morning. Will you stand up, even if it means to stand alone? Will you be that person? Now, I can't help. I, I did go to Sunday school when I was a little boy. We as a family didn't go to church. And then when I finished writing my notes, there's a song that came to my mind that I learned at Sunday school. I think you all know it. Dare to be a Daniel. I dare you to be a Daniel. 
Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Standing by the promises true, heeding God's command, honor them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. Many mighty men are lost, daring not to stand, who for God has been a host by joining Daniel's band. Many giants, great and tall, stalking through the land, headlong to the earth would fall if met by Daniel's band. Hold the gospel banner high on the victory grand. Satan and his hosts defy and shut for Daniel's band. Will you dare to be a Daniel? And so, Lord, help us, we pray. Life is hard. Ministry often is difficult. And so we pray for the strength and enabling of your spirit. Enable us, Lord, to stand firm for that which is pleasing to you. Help us, Lord, to constantly be asking, what is it that pleases you, we ask. And so be with us. Help us as a people. Make a difference, Lord, using men and women and young people from this church, we pray, even to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.